turn in your Bibles to First uh, Corinthians thirteen, verses eight through thirteen. We are still in verse eight, and we will still be in verse eight. Had we lived a hundred years ago, we'd be really old today. Um, had we lived a hundred years ago, I would not have to take the time that I am taking on this text. Kind of interesting thought, don't you think? <clears throat> Let's read the word of the Lord and ask Him to help us. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they shall cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child... I used to speak like a child and think like a child and reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, face to face, now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, and love abide in these three. But the greatest of these is love. Father, help us. Help us to help us to love as you loved us. Father, may we be overwhelmed by that. And Father, may that be the thing that we are known for. And we have just sang a song, let it be said of us. And Father, as I heard those words and read those words, it's so clear. That your love must master your people. And Father, though we wrestle with this text, Father, we bow before you, the author and the finisher. And then, Father, that we would be consumed by your love that surpasses understanding. In Christ's name, amen. We are looking at a text that falls in a a letter that is a letter of rebuke. Uh, this church, it is a church, it's not a cult, it's not a sect, had schisms in it. They had divisions in it. We had people who were more concerned about personalities and certain manners and styles of teaching um, than they were considered concerned about the influence they were having in their society. They were more concerned about how they were seen in the church. Um, basically what I would classify as a bunch of spiritual show-offs. And, and that's basically what they were. And Paul, right in the middle of this, drops the proverbial bomb that deals with all the issues. All the issues that we have looked at, there was immorality in this church. Uh, there was uh, huge amounts of pride. There was no selflessness. You would not have found anybody washing anybody's feet in this church. And he lays right in the middle here, this chapter 13. And I looked at the first four verses and we see that it is important. You can do anything. For Jesus Christ, and if you do it without love, it is of zero value to you. It has no benefit. Does, you can exercise a spiritual gift, and if you do it outside of the bounds of love, it is useless. Okay? In the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter, the first verse Speaking of the Lord's table, it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, to the uttermost, to perfection. In Ephesians chapter 3, it says that this love passes knowledge and it can only, its height, its breadth, its depth can only be known by the person of the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says that the love of God has been poured, has been shed upon the hearts of those who believe. A little letter that John wrote, 1 John chapter 2, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness. He that loves his brother remains in the light. 
In chapter 3, verse 16, we know love by this, that he laid his life down for us, that we ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. Okay, and I gave you a text last week in the 25th chapter of Matthew that deals with the deeds of our new nature are going to be based on what? Love. When I was in jail, you came to see me. When I needed clothes, you gave me clothes. When I need, well, when did we ever do that? God? Anything that you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. I'm thinking that this love thing is important. What do you think? I mean, when it talks about fruit of the Spirit, we, most of us think that there's plural fruit, don't we? And yet the text says there's a fruit of the Spirit. What is it? Love. And out of love comes peace, mercy, gentleness, kindness. But it'll never come without love. It'll never come without... And listen, I agree. The world is absolutely clueless on what love is. Okay? But you know what's scary to me? So is the church. I hear people. I've heard people come to me and tell me what we needed to do to love after I've taught this. And I'm sitting there going... Uh, okay, <laughs> that one didn't get it. All right, why? I gave you 15 facets of love. This is the perfection of love. This is what it looks like. This is how God describes love. And I still watch people think that it's an emotion, it's a feeling, it's the, it, and it's none of that. It's a verb. And then... I have to deal with glossolalia. And it's like I said, I don't have to deal with glossolalia a hundred years ago. It was a non-issue. No one ever even understood it. And everybody's saying, glossolalia, what's that? Tongues. That's the word, glossolalia. Languages. It's literally the root word we get glossary from it's not this stuff that you hear and yet i watch us over and over and over again the body of christ wrestle with this and in this text verse 8 says it will cease that's what it says i didn't write it Okay, and and I've gone through that. We've already looked at how important is love. We looked at the permanence of love. We know the perfections of love. We've seen these things. And the Apostle Paul now has to take love and compare it to spiritual gifts. Why? Because there's a big movement in the body of Christ at the time of the writing of the letter to the Corinthians, which is existent today on spiritual gifts. That we have tests. Do you know we have tests? You can take a test to find out what your spiritual gift is. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I, you know what? Now, some of you probably took the test and think, he says I'm dumb. Yep. Okay, but I'm doing it in love. All right. You know, I watched this church years and years and years ago. My first pastor. And they did the tests. Okay, and everybody was going through and taking the test. And they said, here's what the gift looks like in the spirit. Here's what the gift looks like in the flesh. And everybody was identifying their spiritual gift based on how it looked in the flesh. And right there said, oh, there's something wrong here. My gift is this because in the flesh you're very mean and nasty and you're very cynical. Therefore, you must have the gift of prophecy. What? Okay. And now listen, if you're King Herod and you're dealing with John the Baptist, you think John the Baptist is just mean. And I can't get him to shut up. So I'll cut his head off. There you go. And John had the gift of prophecy. Okay, yeah, I understand that. But I see many today who exalt the gifts. We want to exalt the gifts. We literally have... The same thing that was happening in the church in Corinth, we have spiritual show-offs. We want people who can speak. I want the speaking gifts. Why? Because they have a platform. They stand up and people will listen. You know, I watch people say, well, they call you and ask for... Why don't they ever call me and ask? I don't know. Perhaps, you know, everybody, what's that noise? 
It's the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's no big, don't be afraid. <laughs> it's, somebody left the barn door open. Okay. Okay, but I watch people who are seeking spiritual gifts and they're doing it, they're exercising their gifts and they're doing it in the flesh. This church here in Corinth was in chaos. Chapter 14 says, you guys got to get a handle on this because it was basically everybody wanting to get up and do something. And what's amazing about this, the Apostle Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, completely meshed in the Holy Spirit, he says, you have made such a big deal out of gifts Let me give you a comparison of spiritual gifts against love. That's awesome. Because basically, the only thing that's permanent is what? Love. Love. Love is eternal. And he's basically saying, you know what? You need to major on the eternals. You need to major on the eternals. You know what? I I think about it. People ask me at times. You talk about investing in the eternals. What's eternal? There's only one thing on the planet Earth in existence today that is eternal. Did you know that? I like that because I don't have to get confused on which eternal thing I want to invest in. The only thing that is eternal on this planet today is souls of men and women. That's it. There isn't anything else. All right? And if this text is this important, then I need to be doing what? Loving souls. That should be the all-consuming thing in a Christian's life. I like that idea. Why? I'm, I, I don't multitask well. I can't do multiple things at once. I like just love people. Okay. Cool. Simple. All right. And then I don't have to deal with the rest of it. Just love them. And now listen, I'm not talking about icky sentimentalism. Oh, I am talking about being patient, about being kind, about not being jealous, and not bragging, not being arrogant or unbecomingly, not seeking my own, not being provoked, not taking into account a wrong suffered, not rejoicing in unrighteousness, but rejoicing in truth, bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, and enduring all things. That's what I'm talking about. Okay? I'll take you back to your text here. Verse 8, love never fails, meaning that it's eternal. It will not drop into decay. Where there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. Where there are gifts of knowledge, they will be done away with. All right? And that's what we're dealing with. When? When are they going to be done? All right? Both of those verbs are passive. Okay? Something will act upon the noun to make it stop. That's what it means. Something's going to happen. But then you see stuck in the middle there is gosileo. It will cease. That noun or that verb there is active. It will fulfill its function and stop. Once its purpose has been accomplished, it will cease. Now then what's amazing about the text is it doesn't say it starts again. It doesn't say it starts again. It won't start. Okay? But now I am told that it has started again. Okay? And here's why they tell me it's been started again. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And now there is this new outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the end of the age. And if you set them down and talk to them about it, and I've had the opportunity to do this, they will tell you it is the fulfillment of what Peter said in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came upon the upper room at Pentecost and everybody began speaking in languages. And it is a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2 verse 28. So go to with me to Joel chapter 2. Verse 28. And the first thing everybody does, it says, where is Joel? 
And I will tell you, did you know that the um, index in your Bible is divinely inspired too? It does not lie. It is right after Hosea, which is after the major prophets. Okay, page 1286. (laughs) That ought to work well. Everybody's got Joel. It says this, It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all of mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Well, there you have it. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. Okay, here's the problem. Okay, that first phrase in verse 28. What does it say? New American Standard translates it this way. It will come about after this. Bingo! When will it happen? After this. Okay, then what is this? After this what? That's easy. starts in verse 20. I will remove the northern army far from you. I will drive into the parched and desolate land. And its vanguard to the eastern sea and its rear guard to the western sea and its stench will rise and its foul smell will come up for it has done great things. Cool. Somebody's army takes a butt whooping. So after that, the spirit will be poured out upon us, correct? All right. No worries. No worries. Look what he says. Oh, do not fear, old land. Rejoice and be glad. Verse 21. For the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, beasts of the field. For the pastures of the wilderness will have turned green. And the tree has borne its fruit. And the fruit, the fig tree and the vine have yielded in full. So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in Yahweh your God. For he has given you the early rain for your vindication, and he has poured down for you the rain, the early and the latter as before. The threshing floor. Now, what he says there in verse 23 is, you're going to get wet. If you've ever been to the land of Israel, they like that. Okay? There's nothing that grows there without God intervening. I have been there. It is. You go down to the wilderness area, and that gives a whole new meaning to desolation. Uh, you can go down to our southwestern uh, United States and you'll see Joshua trees and sage and weird stuff like that. The only thing that grows in the wilderness of Israel is dirt. Okay? Uh, and rocks and ditches. And I, it is God forsaken. I still don't understand why do you fight over this? I mean, what are you going to do if you get it? Uh, you know, who oh, will make a Las Vegas? Nah, never mind. Uh, but anyway... Um, so I ask myself, what is he saying here? Well, he's saying that there's going to be a great, huge army come from the north against Israel. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. At the writing of Joel, has there been since that time a large army that has come from the north against Israel? Just a simple question. And then if there has been, has God intervened and slaughtered them? Some say yes, some say no. Well, let me give you some other things. After the slaughter, was there a rain that the threshing floors were full of grain and it overflowed with new wine and oil and it, make you, uh, it will make up for you for years and the swarming locusts have eaten the creeping locusts and the stripping locusts and the gnawing locusts and my great army which I have sent among you? Has there been that divine intervention? You have plenty to eat and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Ooh, there's a catcher. Has his people been put to shame? Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel. Have we seen Jesus in the midst of Israel? And that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other, and my people will never be put to shame. Have you seen any of that? 
any time in the history, then what does it say next? It will come about after this. See what I mean? If we just read this thing, it's not complicated. Okay? I will pour out my spirit on all of mankind. Has he done that? No. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even the male and female servants. I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will display those wonders in the skies. Blood, fire, columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Okay, now then I will tell you something right now. The awesome day of the Lord, I know what that is. That is a bad day. That is Christ's judgment. Okay, you can go through anywhere in the Bible and you find the day of the Lord. You don't want no part of that. So I know that the God's judgment happens when? Be real careful. See what happens? Now, you're trying to tell me this is Pentecost? Is that Pentecost? They're in the upper room. Holy Spirit, Jesus has promised. He pours the Holy Spirit upon them. They speak in languages. And that's Pentecost. And that's what I was just described there. Where's the Northern Army? Pentecost. It can't be Pentecost. Northern Army doesn't show up until 70 AD. And for some strange reason, God don't whoop them. For all intents and purposes, Judaism ceased in 70 AD. Okay? What happened to the early and late rains? I, I get tickled about that because I've heard people try to explain it to me. Well, the early rain is God pouring His Holy Spirit out in at Pentecost, and the late rain is Him pouring it out now as Jesus is getting ready to come back. What? Well, it's a metaphor. Okay, it is a metaphor. You know what the metaphor is for? H2O. It would be rain. Okay? And it's a metaphor for rain. The early rains are the autumn rains. The late rains are the spring rains. Okay? And he says, when I defeat this massive army, I will bring cleansing rain upon it. And it's clean the blood. Now, if you go with the Bible of Megiddo, you're going to see that he needs a bath because it says the blood is 200 miles long and rain high on a horse. I'm thinking we need to hose this off. Okay? And yet he says, I will bring you so much rain that the desert will look like a rose, according to Isaiah. So what's he talking about? I don't believe without any problem at all I can tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about the kingdom of God. When Christ sets up his eternal kingdom. When his throne is where? In the city of David. When Jesus sets on the, crown, uh, sets on the throne of David. That's what he's talking about. That has not happened. That has not happened. After that, I will pour out my spirit on all people. I'll pour out my people. And you know what? There's going to be weird things that people aren't going to be able to run away from. There's going to be some wonders in the heavens and wonders on the earth. It's similar to what you see in Ezekiel chapter 36. I will gather up Israel from all of our world. I will bring you to your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water. Then take away the stone heart. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will pour my spirit in you. Has that happened in Israel? No. So when I hear the experiential people try to tell me that the resurgence of tongues is the fulfilling of the prophecy of Joel, I have to sit and say, but what about after this? Because there's some stuff that I can look at textually that says, when this happens, after this, we'll have this happen. Here's something else that is weird about this text. Okay, in the letter 
that Joel has pinned down. Where's tongues? It ain't in there. Prophecy's in there. So where is it? Well, it's a metaphor. Dude, if you start taking the holy book of God and placing your metaphors in here where he don't place metaphors, you're going to end up in Waco, Texas with a bunch of ATF guys outside. Okay? I see metaphor there. But my metaphor on the early and the late rain, I'm going to go with David's throne and Christ's throne. Okay? But you know what? I'm not going to preach that. I look at it and it says, it's going to bear forward a bunch of flowers and things. What does that mean? Rain. <laughs> H2O rain. Okay? And, you know, and everybody, well, but you need, to, you know what? There are all kinds of implications. You take the lamb, you cut its throat on the Passover and put it over, and there's a metaphor there. Absolutely. But you know what? Jesus tells me about it. I like it. It's like a parable. I have watched people preach parables, and the parable that they preach is not the parable in the scriptures. The parable is a riddle. Did you know that? And if I don't tell you what the riddle means, then it can mean anything you want it to. And we got to be careful about that. That's why when I look at this prophecy of Joel, I just sit there and say, you know what? After this, after the establishment of Messiah's throne, this is going to happen. Now then, when's Messiah's throne? It wasn't Pentecost. I mean, you, we can debate when is his throne, but I got news for you. It wasn't Pentecost. I mean, I'm, I'm not an archaeologist or a theologian, but I do know it wasn't Pentecost. And I do know that it has not happened yet. Is there a kingdom here? Absolutely. The sphere of God's influence is alive and well on the planet Earth. Absolutely. But there comes a time when Jesus Christ has a throne here. Okay? Well, it's a metaphor. You know, um, they quote Acts chapter 2, verse 19. Peter says this is fulfillment of Joel. Okay? Is it? Okay? That's what Peter says. But if you're truly honest with the text, is that the complete fulfillment of the, the text there in chapter 2 of Joel? No. But is it a glimpse? Remember what the writer of Hebrews says? You have, chapter 6, verse 5, you have tasted of the what? The kingdom to come. Okay, there's been a glimpse. What you, here's what's neat about this kingdom. Do you know we're all going to speak the same language? Now, the great debate is, what would that language be? I don't know. Okay, but you know what? We will all be able to communicate. Okay, think about it. All the tongues and tribes will do what? Worship. All the tongues and tribes will praise God. And we're all going to know what everybody's saying. Okay, what happened in the upper room? Very small group of people, about 120 maybe. Okay, in a very small country, at a very obscure time of civilization. Got what? A glimpse of the coming kingdom. Of the coming kingdom. Linsky wrote it this way, and I, I think it is so cool the way he says it. I can't, I don't sound this way when I say stuff. But here's what he says, and I quote, Miracles of the first century are the lightning on the horizon of the kingdom of God. Unquote. <laughs> cool. Didn't that mean? Everybody says, yeah, you wouldn't have said that. <laughs> it's the thunder showers that are heading this way. <laughs> okay? It's, it's the flashes. If you've ever watched it, the flash kind of grabs your attention. That's what you see at Pentecost. It's a flash. And you sit there and go, oh, what was that? And it's a glimpse of what's coming. You and I can't. I do not understand the kingdom of heaven. I don't understand it. It does stuff that I don't grasp. I mean, I, we all in one tongue? We all know what each other is saying? 
And you know, some of you say, I still don't know what you're saying. But anyway, but it, it, we're, we're all going to be on the same page and there isn't going to be, there's going to be global worship of Jesus Christ. There's going to be global praise of Jesus Christ. That's what Joel tells me. Let me ask you a question. Has that happened? Well, understand this. Until that happens, this pouring out ain't happening. And we've got to be aware of that. And when I hear these people try to tell me that, well, this glossoleo that you hear today is we're getting near the end of the age and Jesus has given us the second blessing. I've heard it called the latter rains. And and the problem is the syntax, the structural sentencing of 1 Corinthians 13 says that when tongues cease, there's no way that it starts again, even in the end of the age. And yet I think about it, it's a glimpse of the horizon that is coming. And I do not believe that Joel 2 has been fulfilled. Have I seen, I can get little pieces of this, but I don't remember the moon turning to blood and I don't remember the sun going out. I remember being threatened that it's going to. I mean, global warming, global cooling, global this, global that. Um, Joel don't fit. That's basically what I'm trying to say. And yet Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 13, 8, that tongues will stop. And again, I go back to Joel 2, and I'm still trying to see tongues in the text, and I can't find it. Then they'll throw at me Luke 11. If I ask for the Holy Spirit, he will be given to me. If I ask for bread, who will give their child a stone? And, you know, some of you get the same look that I get, and I sit there. If you ask God for anything, he'll give it to you if you've asked for the Holy Spirit first. Okay, let me ask you a question. If I ask God for something that God isn't giving at a certain time, what will happen? If God's not giving it, what happens? You ain't going to get it. You may get something, but who's it from? Okay, and it goes back to this experience thing. All I know is that it happened to me and you can't deny my experience. Okay? Listen. Do yourself a favor. Don't let experience change anything. Listen. If I need experience, why do I have this? Why do I have this? Bring your experience to this. Not this to the experience. Why do I need the book? Man does not live by bread alone. But by what? You know what is amazing about the Bible? I had a guy left this church years ago. And he says, Terry, I like what you say, but you know what? I've concluded. You worship the Bible. You know, that bugged me when he said that. I thought, wow. And and he says, you've literally made this thing an idol. And I'll tell you what, I, I I was pierced, I was hurt. So I went back to my idol and said, what do you think about that? I went to John chapter 1. It said, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Not a bad idol. Not a bad idol. I kind of looked at it and said, well, you know, if he'd have known me before, he'll know I've stepped up in the world. <laughs> Listen, there are all kinds of experiences. Okay? Every religion has experiences. But you know what I've learned in 51 years? Even drunks have experiences, but they can sleep them off. Okay? Drug addicts have experiences. Uh, Football fans have experiences. 
So is, let me tell you something in my years of understanding. The worst judge of reality is human experience. Okay? I'm not against experiences. You're going to have them all over the place. But that doesn't make it reality. And I bring my experience to the scriptures. I don't take the scriptures to my experience. So I I wanted to give you this because one of the things that I have learned is that this is growing. Quote unquote languages. Tongues. Um, you would be in awe of how many people that I know of here in Castle Rock that are in mainline evangelical churches who will tout languages. Everything from a private prayer language to a way to edify yourself through a language to divine revelation is still being given. You would not believe it. I, I, I know you'd be in awe of it. So what is it? Okay, um, the first one possibility is that uh, it's satanic and demonic. Okay, every false religion in the world has the same founder. Okay, there's only one founder for every false religion. And in my conclusion, there's two religions on the planet Earth. Faith in Jesus Christ because of His grace and everything else. And that's it. Okay? So you basically have two founders. You have Jesus Christ foundering foundering, the foundation for a a religion. And you have Satan has the rest of them. Okay? Um, Satan is working in every one of the false religions. Whether it be the pagan religions, which are making a rebirth now, uh, I'm starting to see them all over the place. And they're trying to blame Harry Potter for that. And I'm saying they're going, what? Anyway, but, um, you know, but every one of these false religions, I don't care whether it's Buddhism, I don't care whether it's uh, Islam or Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, every single one of them have a style of tongues in them. Did you know that? Do you know that Joseph Smith? Explain to him how to speak in tongues. One of his first writings was how to speak in tongues. Okay? But understand, the source of those religions is Satan. Okay? So, one possibility for this counterfeit gift is Satan. The one that I have seen the most of is the second one. And I call it learned behavior. Okay? It was just learned. Um, One of the things that I've seen in people who speak in tongues. uh, I remember a young lady one time that I was teaching through the book of Acts. And she said that she learned to speak in tongues years and years and years ago. And she used to play with her dolls in tongues. Okay? And um, just, just stuff like that. And one of the things that I've learned about the gift of tongues is they're always similar in terms, what you hear, um, and the behavior is the same. It's a common action. Okay, And I've learned this from people who grew up in the Pentecostal church and some people who were in non-denominational churches. Uh, I've met some people who grew up in Iowa who came out of California, who come out of the hill country of the Appalachians uh, and out of South. And yet one of the things that I've noticed about all of them is if you listen to them, you'll hear the same type of terms, okay, and you'll find out that it was a learned behavior. Okay, why? Well, Grandpa Bill did it, or Uncle Bob did it, or Cousin Ed did it, or, you know, my brother did it, and my mom did it, and all the rest of it. Um, What I mean by a common action, they grew up in a place that they were told that this was good. Okay? Um, It was deliberately induced. You, you need to do this. And, and, and I think you get some peer pressure in it. There was a, a church here in Castle Rock uh, a few years ago. On Mother's Day, they surprised all the mothers. And they brought all the little Sunday school kids out, and they all began speaking in tongues. 
Okay, and what they had done to give to Mother's Day was all these little darlings speaking in tongues. That's here in Castle Rock. Okay, very large. Actually, the largest church in Douglas County. Okay. Um, that would be the peer pressure thing. But understand this. It's not supernatural. Okay. It's, it's manufactured. Here's what's the problem with that mentality that I struggle with. Um, it has no effect on the spiritual well-being of the individual. None whatsoever. Okay? They still have the same problems everybody else had. Okay? And what I've seen is a lot of them will come out of that with disillusioned to the faith of Jesus Christ. Uh, I, the young lady that I told you about... Um, who played with dolls in speaking in tongues. Um, I, I, what she has been through and what she's going through right now is awful. And uh, she has no faith. She does not attend church occasionally. Uh, she just got married, uh, and she thinks that that's going to help her. And she's with child. Um, but it is... It is a, a thing that I see with this learned behavior that we want to belong to somebody. We, we want to belong. We want to be a part of something. We, we want to, and excuse my, we want to be special. And, and, and that's where it comes. That one is the largest group that I have run into. Okay, now... Just just know that. Then the third one, um, actually the Lutheran church did a study on this and it was became amazing to me. It's, that it's psychological. Um, I kind of likened it to... Um, some, I'm, I'm a little older than some, but do you guys, some of you remember the British invasion? Remember when the Beatles showed up? Do you remember... All them girls screaming crazily as they, they walked off the, 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 the stairs off the airplane. It's psychological. I, I mean, you, you see it in some of these shows or rock stars and stuff today that people kind of get bizarre. I call it emotions unleashed. Um, it's like reality has left the building and it's just hysteria. Now, now listen, everybody says, he's just picking on women. I've seen guys do it in football games. Okay. Just, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And they tear down goalposts and tear gas and pick fights with cops with guns and sticks. And what was you thinking? <laughs> Okay, uh, but I see it. You, you see it in uh, riots occasionally, mob scenes or something like that. But it's psychological. Um, it, it is giving up what I call voluntary control. They call it motor automism, automationism. Okay, and it's basically, you, it's an inward detachment um, from your surroundings. Okay, and, and you see it. Uh, you see it in mobs. Uh, you, you see it in, 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 these, in, in, in these concerts. You see it in, in fans' bases and stuff like that. Uh, and I believe that part of what you see with the gift of tongues comes from that. And it's, um, uh, it's, it's almost like a type of hypnosis. Um, I, I've had some people in the past who've tried to hypnotize me, and they've never had any success. Um, there's a plethora of reasons why. Uh, some think that I'm just not smart enough to be hypnotized. Uh, some people may think that he's too rational to be hypnotized. My wife would probably argue on that one. That he just looks at everything black and white, and he's just such a stick in the mud. Um, but I listen to some of these people who are trying to get people to speak in tongues, and I hear this same phrase. Release yourself. Okay, and I hear this, I've heard it, uh, some of these guys on television, the guy was talking about television, that, um, you know, that, um, well, have you exercised your gift of tongues? And the person says, well, yeah, he says, but you have to do it every day. 
And if you do it every day, then these bad things will quit happening to you. And you need to release yourself to this gift. Um, basically, you're going to give up control of your voice. I mean, that's the commonality of it. And I believe that that's what it is. It's, it's, a, it's a counterfeit. Uh, it is a human forced. So why do we do it? And listen, I have seen guys, I know a guy who used to fly Continental Airlines. He was a pilot and, and he did it. Um, and you would think that, you know, I, I think you got to be kind of smart to fly an airplane. Well, I hope so. Of course, I quit flying Continental. Maybe uh, <laughs> I'm a Delta man. <laughs> if I run into one, but but I I I, I ask myself these things, and I think that the reasoning that come out of some of the conclusions of this Lutheran study was uh, one was spiritual hunger. People naturally hunger spiritual things, and we throw that at at everything. You know, if they have uh, relationships outside of marriage. It's just a spiritual. Uh, you go to this concert, it's a spiritual thing. If you go to whatever, we, we try to, to, to hang it in there. Um, I also think that it's a side order of wanting spiritual expression. Okay? I, I want to be involved. I want you to see my involvement. Um, I, there is also the side that I think is there to be thought holy. Uh, they have this supernatural thing and therefore I am holy. Um, it's a need of acceptance. Uh, and it sounds like junior high school, doesn't it? Or high school. Or college. Or adulthood. I want to belong. I want to be in. I, 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 I want something that others may not have. I want you to see how spiritual I am. What was the problem with the church in Corinth? I want to be seen. I'm a spiritual show off. And therefore, I go and seek this stuff. Okay, what if God's not giving it anymore? You'll find it. I guarantee it. Listen, you go seek an experience. I guarantee you, you will find one. Okay, now, is it of God or not becomes the issue. Scripture says tongues will cease. And, 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 and you know, people are probably... Oh, Terry... We, we all got it. You're preaching to the choir here. Yeah, I am. Maybe. But do you know why? And that's why I'm preaching. Um, listen, I know many charismatics, experiential people who believe the authority of Scripture. They believe it. Okay, I, I wish they would study a little more, but they believe it. Um, I believe that they have ceased. I have no reason to believe that tongues will come back, even in the fulfilling of Joel 2, because <laughs> I still see Roscaleo in that text. Okay, and, and one of the things that I need you to be careful of now is to walk out of here and start blasting charismatics. Okay? Uh, in the past, I have taught on texts like this, and I've had people have this onslaught of, I want a CD of that, I want to, and, and they're going to, there's a schism in the church, I'm going to fill it up with tapes. Um, that ain't it, because what is the context of our text? Love. Love. But we share the truth in love. Listen, if you take that charismatic and you love them as Christ loved you, you will gain opportunity to sit down and reason together from the scriptures. But if you think that you just need to go out and beat up everybody who has a prayer language or someone who goes to a charismatic church or who does this or does that... You're no different than the Corinthians. I don't have to go look for fights. People seem to think that that's my goal in life. Let's go find somebody to make mad. I'm trying to mind my own business. And God brings people into my life. And 
I do exactly what I just did gave you today as a message is I don't know how many times I've shared it with people. Charismatics who have, but you don't understand. I've spoken tongues. I've played with dolls in tongues and, and things like that. Uh, I had a guy who came into my office and he said, God has laid you on my heart um, to, to, to pray over you in tongues and you'll be healed of your diabetes. Um, and that's not a good illustration. He died two days later. I don't know what that means. Um, and, you know, I just need to have the faith to not take insulin. And I don't have that faith. Okay, but he did his thing and, and it sounded just like the girl who told me what she used to say when she was playing with her dolls. And he was from New Mexico and she was from Iowa. Okay? It's an experience, but you don't understand. Yeah, I know. But let me back up and I want to show you something. Because if you're truly honest with your text, tongues will cease. Okay? I believe emphatically that you can go historically and see it has ceased. You can look at it biblically and see it has ceased. And if you're honest with anything, any cursory glancing of Scripture and or of history of the body of Christ, you cannot justify it. You cannot use Joel 2 because Joel 2 says after this and when you got after this, you got to figure out what happened first and that ain't happened. Okay, there is not this unabashed praise and worship of God going on even in Israel. It ain't there. All right? So what is it? Well, if they're in a cult, it's demonic. Okay? If not, then it can be learned behavior because my dad taught me how to do it or my mom taught me how to do it or this preacher that I, he taught me how to do it or I've done this and I did that and all the rest of it. One of the things I've learned about spiritual gifts is that you can't learn them. Or psychological. They just want to be a part of something. Um, believe it or not, most people are not leaders. They are followers. They want to be led. They desire to be led. We were looking at this morning on Jonestown. And how do you get a thousand people to kill yourselves, kill themselves? Well, they're going to follow somebody who's leading. I want you to think about this. When I think about the gift of tongues, the gift of languages, I believe emphatically, I believe that scripturally it's gone. We I mean, do I need it? I don't think I need it. Okay, now I've got that out of the way. One of the things we have to remember is, but am I patient? How about Kind. How about when I'm wronged, I am now useful to that person who wronged me? How about jealous? Do I envy other people? Do I envy other ministries? Do I envy other people's positions in life? How about bragging or arrogant? One is verbalization, the other one is just the heart. How about unbecomingly? When it's, I know that this will bother this person. Do I do it just because I know it will bother them? How about seeking my own? Is that the first thing that I worry about? What I can get, what I can benefit from it, how will this impact me? What about provoked? What does it take to make you angry? What about keeping record of the wrongs people have done against you? What about re rejoicing in unrighteousness? Do I like a good dirty joke? Do I like a bad, dirty joke? Or do I rejoice in truth when it is taught and lived? Do I bear all things? Do I believe all things? Do I hope all things? Do I endure, endure all things? See, it's easy to just run out and let's go, uh, hey, let's go beat up the charismatics. They are extremely popular in our community. Extremely popular in our community. Nine of the newest church starts are charismatic in their fundamental foundations. Largest church in this town is charismatic. So I'm thinking that there's a few. 
Okay? But I want to ask you, do you love? Because you can love them. And you know what? In that love, they will learn that what they have is not always love. See, here's one of the bad things about that thinking. And I'll close with this. When I have an experience, okay, what is it that happens next? I want to do it again. I don't care what the experience is. Ain't it true? When you have an experience, wow, me and Jesus was rocking and rolling that day. What did we want? On again. But you know what happens is, if you keep going with spiritual experiences, I, you know, I was sitting there and all of a sudden I was just slain in the spirit and started jibber-jabbering in tongues. It was wonderful. So next Sunday, what do you want to do? Same thing. You know what happens? Eventually that experience gets old. And you want something bigger, something better. Why? Because God is an awesome God. And it just keeps going. Where does it stop? I have seen people acting like animals claiming that they were worshiping God, they were barking like a dog. And they claim that they were barking in the spirit. What is that? It's just experience going and going and going. But I want to feel God's presence. Me too. Me too. But human experience is the worst way to ever measure reality. And what happens is you keep pushing that, you keep seeking for that, you keep desiring that, I guarantee you, you'll find it. The question will be, whose influence is it? The Lord Jesus Christ? Person of the Holy Spirit? Or Satan? And that's the thing that bothers me about some of this is because experience knows no boundaries. And when you start taking your experience and finding a Bible text to try to validate that thing, um, like my buddy said, the Bible is like a prisoner of war. You persecute it long enough, you can make it say anything. And you can. You can. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Father, thank You for gifts. Thank you for pouring your spirit upon our uh, hearts. Uh, Father, uh, we may understand we get a glimpse of the kingdom to come. And Father, I just praise you. I praise you for your word first and foremost. Lord, you have protected it. Father, you use it to guide us, to instruct us, to help us discern. But Father, to hold it up to truth. Hold it, Hold our experience up and see what it is of. And yet, Father, you have given each of us here a time such as this. But Father, I pray for everyone here that first and foremost, they would be dominated, overwhelmed by the reality and the purpose and the priority to love, to love as you love, to give of your Son. Father, as you hang on a cross in the person of Jesus, Father, that we would understand that. Father, may we be known by our love. Father, may we be consumed by your love. And Father, may we walk in the fullness of Jesus Christ and in your love, the power of your Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.